Welcome to the 56th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Using agricultural crops to feed our seemingly insatiable hunger for energy is generating a lot of excitement these days. So far, most of that attention to biofuels has centered around making ethanol out of corn. However, concerns have been raised that corn-based biofuels will only increase our reliance on an annual monocrop that can be very resource-intensive and have a negative impact on the environment. Increasingly, scientists, farmers, and economists have been considering the idea of using perennial plant systems such as native prairies as a source of biofuels. In theory, utilizing prairies has several advantages. For one thing, they only have to be planted once rather than on an annual basis. And when prairies are established, they don't need a constant supply of agrochemicals to stay productive. We should also keep in mind all of the ecological services such diverse systems provide, cleaner water, carbon sequestration, and wildlife habitat, to name a few. One idea is to use cutting-edge cellulosic technology to break down plants and ferment the resulting sugars into ethanol. Such a process would require expensive, sophisticated facilities and is not commercially feasible yet. But biofuel enthusiasts are also experimenting with existing technology to derive energy from native prairie. One of those experimenters is Eric Kreidermacher. Kreidermacher's family owns and operates Pork and Plants, a southeast Minnesota farm that, true to its name, raises pigs as well as greenhouse plants. Pork and Plants has 65,000 feet of greenhouse space. Keeping all that greenhouse real estate warm through a Minnesota winter can consume tremendous amounts of LP gas. So for years, the Kreidermachers have been seeking out alternative sources of energy. In 2003, they installed their first Stoker boiler. They've since installed more boilers on the farm, and over the years, they've mostly burned wood pellets and corn in them to provide steam heat for their greenhouses. But those forms of fuel have to be purchased, and Eric is interested in growing his own fuel right on the farm. He's also interested in doing it in a way that's good for the environment. So a few years ago, they planted 20 acres of native prairie on the farm. They've also purchased two machines that allow them to reduce plant material into dense pellets that will burn efficiently. The prairie has taken a few years to get established, and when I visited the farm, the markers were just about ready to harvest it, pelletize it, and test it out as a fuel source. They are also experimenting with using annual Sudan grass as a source of biofuel. In addition, the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources has shown interest in allowing the family to harvest some native prairie off of a wildlife refuge that borders the farm. Eric is excited about all this potential for producing his own homegrown fuel, but he's also a little nervous. The family is taking on a major financial risk and is doing a lot of experimenting in an area of biofuels production that is still very much in its formative stages. He sells boilers himself and has seen a growing interest in his neighborhood on the part of farmers who would like to use these boilers to generate fuel from grasses and other plants growing right on their land. Eric would like to see a future in which neighboring farmers raise prairie grass and then haul it to his farm where it can be pelletized. These farmers would then take the pellets back to their own operations where they could be burned in their own boilers. Such a local energy system would be good for the local environment as well as a local economy. But for now, all of that is still in the dreaming stage. On a windy afternoon in early fall, I visited Pork and Plants and got a tour of the Kreidermacher's budding biofuel operation. At one point, Eric took me to the plot of land where they have planted native prairie on one side and Sudan grass on the other. There we talked about the potential 
challenges, and unanswered questions that swirl around the idea of plugging into the prairie. We're kind of standing here. We've got Sudan grass on one side here. You said you got about 20 to 25 acres of that. And then you've got uh, the native prairie planted here right on the right-hand side here. And uh, I was wondering if you, you had talked a little bit about some of the... You're kind of doing this research on your own, and you're, you've got some major questions about whether you can make this viable economically for your operation as far as biomass production. I was wondering if you could t talk a little bit about some of those questions you're trying to answer here uh, kind of with this on-farm research. Yeah, the big the big question with all this biomass idea, or, you know, the question behind all this is coming down to the profitability for the farm level, how it's, how it's going to work on the farm scale. You know, we're myself, we're working at, looking at, you know, the native prairie. We're also looking at the native gra uh, annual grasses to kind of compare and see, you know, the big questions are come down to the, the yield, what kind of tons we're going to see off of these fields, both on the native systems and also on the on an annual system. Yeah, that, you know, the questions too are, are, are the production side questions that nobody can really answer me right now. You know, say, like I said before, with myself being a farmer, especially being a hog farmer, is if a person, if it's advantageous to try to use, you know, the manure production out of, out of that side of my business, if it would be beneficial to put on the prairie in terms of making it better, getting more tons, more yield, you know, that's stuff that apparently I'm going to have to figure out myself because unfortunately there's not been, there hasn't been any research done into that side. You know, most of most of my side is is looking at on the farm scale and you know, and the mindset of a typical farmer how it fits into our into our system that we're that we're used to. You know, the the big thing that, that scares a lot of people, a lot of farmers, is is the idea of is is the difference between a monoculture system and a diverse system, how that's going to play out too. You know, most farmers are very typical or are very mindset into a monoculture, you know, cropping system. You know, the prairie is a much, you know much diverse, you know, polyculture. You know. You know, more 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 species planted into it, which I think is going to be beneficial and also you know a very, a very beneficial thing too for for long term viability of it. But that's the other question we have too is between you know a straight grass planting versus a grass and forb planting. Which one's going to do better in terms of yield again, but also do do better in terms of long term viability? You know, a lot of my thoughts is still going to be the the diverse you know the, the diverse planting between the with the grasses and the forbs where one feeds the other. Um, but say it's all things that will be, you know, we have to figure out in the next couple of years here as things progress. Because I say, you keep going back to, unfortunately, there isn't, there isn't a lot of, you know, research out there for anything on a farm scale system right now. Yeah, and one of the things you talked about is maybe to to make this work uh, economically is for say the government to recognize that say this prairie system isn't isn't just you aren't just raising it for biomass, but it, it has other services that it can provide, kind of eco eco services like wildlife habitat and. You know, uh, helping filter water and, and and that type of thing, protect the soil. Exactly. I mean, yeah. You know, the the whole overall picture is there's a lot of different benefits. I mean, the number one benefit for myself and people like me is is the biofuel side of it. You know, for the fuel, you know, for the fuel side. But yet, you know, the environmental benefits are are numerous. You got the wildlife benefit that you're going to get. You also got the water quality. It's, it's going to help with that with the runoffs. You know, your your insects and beneficial insects and stuff. It, it brings back into the farming scheme, you know, the diversity that we used to have that we don't see anymore. And, if, and say, to make it, and I think long-term to make it viable, you know, you're, we're going to have to see government you know, policies, both on the state and the federal level, to help, you know, to further this and compensate the farmer, especially for the get-go, you, know, you know, give incentives for these other benefits that the farmer themselves actually don't really, can really grasp, you know, you know grasp in hand. You know, it's more the social benefits that you're going to see to the to the community, which you know is a good part of it. But yet, there's got to be incentives to help 
to help kind of support that side of it to make you know to make it you know make it feasible on the, on the farm scale that we're trying to do. Well, you're talking about this this how farmers really want to focus on that monoculture because that's where they get the yield, and you really see it here. The Sudan grass, which is a, an annual uh, monoculture, uh, it's uh, what is it? 14 foot high. It's way above our heads here, and uh, I don't know, 12, at least 12 foot high. And then you look at the prairie system here, it looks really nice. It's a nice, diverse system. You can see a lot of insects in there. A lot of wildlife is probably uh, making its home there. But it's, what, maybe the, the height of our knee. So it's not as impressive. And, and I'm sure, like you said, somebody said that you'd be lucky to get a maybe one-and-a-half ton yield out of that. And that's not going to turn a lot of heads right now as far as uh, productivity. No, exactly. And that that's the question, you know, myself primarily has is, you know, what kind of mixes are going to give us the best the best yields on the farm for what we want to do. The big but the big advantage that I see to the prairie over the annual plantings is is still the long-term viability. If we can get it all figured out is, you know, the, the beauty of a prairie system is you aren't really on the land very often. I mean, once it's established, you know, at the most you're going to be on the, you're going to be on the land once a year to harvest it. Where any of your annual systems, you know, the annual grasses to your to your to traditional corn and beans, there's you know quite a few trips across the field that we make in terms of fuel consumption and, and compaction and you know and just machinery, you know, wear and tear and machinery. So that that's that's a, another side of the prairie that I see as a benefit. That you know it, it makes it much more attractive on a production side is that you're you're not really on that on that land very often. But I'll say the question all comes back to making it economically viable that it that it becomes another option. For some, you know, for some of this land that are on our farms that you know could be used for better, better things besides traditional row crops. Yeah, especially see it in this area here, where it's a very hilly area. We got the Whitewater River down the hill here. You know, it's it's uh, there's been some history of erosion in this area. I mean, your land's obviously very well managed, but uh, in some of this, these places, corn and beans really aren't uh, aren't the thing to be planting on some of these hillsides. So it'd be good to see some kind of a perennial system. Yeah. No, exactly, and that's what you know. In the county that we're in, that's what we really need to see. Is you know, unfortunately, we've seen too much of the, too much of the contour strips, too much of the waterways. Things have been have disappeared over the years, as as things have developed. Unfortunately, in the on the on the conventional on the conventional agricultural system, you know, I, I can see you know, in my mind, I still can see the day when you you can have the, the two systems coexist together. You know, the idea of having conventional row crops in conjunction with you know a prairie system for biofuel or or various things and together because one still can kind of help benefit the other you know the, you know the big thing in the area we're in there's a, there's a lot of land that should be much more productive hopefully you know in a prairie system or you know kind of system versus a conventional you know conventional uh, corn and beans and if you can put you tie the two together you know with the water quality benefits and the you know the beneficial insect benefits you know that's going to have a benefit on the conventional system if we can bring that diversity back into in, into our area you know, one's going to kind of help the other to a, to a degree. You know, what I see long term, it's just a matter of you know getting to that point. One kind of exciting thing you mentioned was that you you sell one of your businesses you have is you sell boilers uh, for biomass, and you're seeing more of your neighbors uh, buying these uh, these uh, systems for their own heating needs. But then they're also coming to you and saying because you you have uh, two uh, pelleting mills of your own to pellet pelletize biomass and into something that can be burned efficiently, and they're saying you know. We're interested in planting our own prairies or planting our own biomass uh, uh, systems, and uh, then maybe using the the, the pellet, pelleting mills here. And and you know you see that as maybe uh, eventually there could be kind of a regional system for processing this uh, this biomass and, and kind of creating a regional 
uh, source of energy in the area. Yeah, that's one of the, my long-term goals is to, is to try to develop and see is, you know, if we can make a regional system where, you know, farmers can kind of grow. If they, if they choose to go into the biomass, you know, heating system ideas is to grow their own fuel and say well, we're, we're, what we're going to be set up capability-wise is a capability of, of, of various farmers, neighboring farmers, to, to bring me the material that they want to grow, if it's native grasses or whatever they want to do, you know, and pelletize it for them and then take it back and burn it. I mean, the whole idea of producing your own fuel it's becoming very attractive to a lot of people. I, I have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of neighbors. Actually, a couple, a few, a couple of customers of mine that I've sold the boilers to that they've already started that process along with me here. They've planted their own native planting, plantings with the idea that that's what they want to do with you know, certain pieces of, of their land on on their farm. You know, once it, it, it comes down to yield again, but I mean, if we can get the proper yield, I mean, an average farm it's not going to take very many acres of land for an average farm to produce their own, you know, heat, you know, their own fuel for their for their heat demand of of, of the year. And that's kind of a neat thing is, I mean, you know, if you take, say you take a, a four, which might be unrealistic yet, but if you take a four ton to the acre yield on, you know, biomass, I mean, a couple a couple acres is about all the, an average house is going to consume for, for fuel in a year. You know, and that's not, you know, and that, you know, so a lot of people are very interested in the idea, you know, have taken a few acres of land that might not be very productive and make it something that's much more beneficial, you know, beneficial out of it to them for their you know for their heating needs but also you know and you know, and then going back to the you know extra benefits you know for the environment itself so it, it's it's interesting to see and neat to see you know and you know time will tell how it all de- how it all develops but i mean there's you know i'm you know myself is you know definitely seeing a lot of interest you know i get quite a few phone calls every week people asking you know where, where we're at and what we're seeing well like you said your neighbors may think you're crazy but maybe uh maybe you can prove them wrong in a few years <laughs> that's the plan <laughs> information on the Kreidermarker family operation, see www.porkandplants.com. That's porkandplants.com, all one word. For more on the issue of making biofuel from prairie grass, see the summer 2008 issue of the Land Stewardship Letter at www.landstewardshipproject.org. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, you'd like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 